in a crucial stage. It's not because of foreign wars we wage. It's more to do with the colors blue and red. Too many laws and too much government. Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread. So many people trying to cross the border. Politicians build a new world order. Too many minds are convinced they should be led. I've gotta be free the way God made men, and I won't be ruled by the damn UN. Taking your right to self-defense. They say you're safe, but they don't make sense. Dangerous ones will not turn in the guns. Always ask for more. All we buy is made on foreign shores. Come a day when there'll be real hell to pay. I've gotta be free the way God made men, and I won't be ruled by the damn UN. Today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever so humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming to you from historic Rome County, Tennessee. Now, I want to be clear for those of you that are listening to the rebroadcast on WCED in beautiful Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, I and if you're listening on thelastfrequency.com, the time of the live broadcast, it happens to be on November the 15th of 2022, a day that I'm sure will become historic for many reasons. A little bit later today, we're supposed to be getting the official announcement from Donald John Trump. The orange man who's bad, the kicker of puppies, the eater of babies, the climate arsonist, and who knows what new nicknames he's going to earn from the left and the rhinos and the mainstream legacy media. Being a little redundant there, aren't I? Uh, <laughs> we'll see what kind of new nicknames he gets. Big announcement today, coming up later, uh, obviously, it's been made pretty clear. He's going to be announcing his official candidacy to yet again seek the Republican nomination for President of the United States. Uh, that is the expectation. I've also been listening to some folks that are a little closer to Trump, and uh, they've been saying that they've, they've been given every indication they have some insider knowledge uh, 
about what the speech is going to be like tonight. And they claim he's going to be doing exactly what he needs to do right now if he really wants to recapture the MAGA movement. Because right now, the, the things he's been doing the last week or so, they've endangered his status among MAGA. They have. And, and I hope he realizes that. When you start attacking Ron DeSantis before the primary race is over, well, I mean, not primary, but midterm race is over, because midterms, generally here, was also the gubernatorial race in the state of Florida. If he had affected in a negative way Ron DeSantis's chance of being the governor of the state of Florida, he would have done a great disservice to the state that he now calls home. It doesn't matter if he honestly believes this business about how uh, Ron DeSantis needed his help to get elected the first time. None of that matters. Everybody needs a little help from time to time. But Ron DeSantis won re-election on the strength of his governance. So don't make those attacks before the election. It's a bad look to make those attacks before you've officially announced as a candidate. And to start attacking someone else who has not announced as a candidate, it's just not a good look, especially when you're attacking DeSantis, and then you turn around and attack Glenn Youngkin in, uh, uh, in Virginia. Uh, it's just not a good idea. Everything that we've heard from Trump since the installation of the Biden regime has made it seem like he cares more about Donald Trump than about America in general. That's not how he won the first time. He won the first time by making the case that he was willing to put aside everything to stand up and fight for us, the little guy, the American people. He won last time when he won because he made it clear that everybody that was coming after him wasn't really coming after him. They were coming after us. He was just in the way. He intentionally stepped in the way. Donald John Trump did exactly what a patriot would do, someone that loves America would do. But he's been obsessed, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again, uh, Trump does have a few foibles, a few personality flaws, and one of those issues that has haunted him on occasions is he does have a big ego. And I think you need to have an ego like that to do the things that he does and be successful at it. It doesn't have to be a detriment. But I think since the installment of the Biden regime, that's, I think, the safest way to, to continue to describe that event. Since that moment in time, he's been obsessed with it. And in fact, a lot of the people that he decided to back in these midterm elections, it had a lot to do with how much they backed his, his narrative. And I use the word narrative here because the left has a narrative and Donald Trump has a narrative. I'm not trying to indicate that it's false. Not all narratives are false narratives. But his narrative was the election was stolen and he needed to be... Uh, 
and put back into his rightful office, that he won the election. That's his narrative. And if you didn't back that 100%, he wasn't going to back you. The media, of course, and several Democrats have used that as an excuse to attack these candidates. And there is a certain amount of Trump fatigue among typical Republican voters that would ordinarily support Donald Trump. Now, here's what he's got to do in this speech tonight. Like I said, from these folks that I've been hearing, and these are people that probably do have an inside track, today, during the announcement, he's most likely going to do exactly what he needs to be doing, and that is turning the page on the, uh, I didn't lose, and getting back to the America needs leadership. America needs someone that's going to put America first. The American people need somebody that understands that energy policy affects inflation. Somebody that understands that unfettered government spending affects inflation. Somebody that understands that um, Ukraine's defense needs to be something more than just money laundering operations. And it looks like this FTX, uh, what, what's the good word here? Exchange? It's a crypto exchange. That's the correct terminology. Looks like uh, it was little more than money laundering uh, for himself personally, the former multimillionaire who happens to have a mother that worked with the Biden administration, is, uh, according to the information I've come across to this point. Imagine that. This guy was the second, second largest Democratic donor over the last two election cycles, only behind George Soros. And there seems to be a strong connection. It's being denied by the very corrupt government of Ukraine. But it seems to uh, be strong indication that a lot of this money that was sent to Ukraine was then turned around and invested on this exchange. So you want to tell me that this wasn't a case of Democrats sending money there and the money coming back? We've known for some time that there was money <laughs> laundering going on there. So here, here's the deal. If Donald Trump gets back to talking about the issues and the policies and the failures of the Biden regime, then he's back on track. Stop attacking fellow Republicans before the primaries even started. Just stop it. Cut it out. Do what you got to do to win the primary once there's actually a race, once you have declared opponents. But stop trying to be preemptive. It's not a good thing. It's not a good look. And it makes you look scared. I think, and I've heard some people uh, criticize such an early uh, official announcement. I, I don't think it's a bad idea. I think that for Donald Trump, he's in a very unique position, and if he wants it, the best shot he's got is to just go ahead, announce his intention, jump into the race, and then start auditioning for running mates. I think we are going to see some folks that are also already committed to getting into this race, and he's going to clean their clocks. I do think at the moment, if Ron DeSantis or Glenn Youngkin, either or both decided to get into the race, 
this could become very bloody and could really hurt the MAGA movement because I think Ron DeSantis is a very good MAGA type of candidate. Because remember, MAGA, the media has tried to make it synonymous with Donald Trump. Donald Trump definitely wants it to be synonymous with him because he's a branding guy. He knows how to brand things. He knows what you have to do to brand. Uh, it's kind of his specialty. You see the Trump name on everything that he can stick that name and make it attached to. But MAGA is Make America Great Again. MAGA is not Donald Trump's MAGA. It's America's MAGA. It is conservative, constitutional, Christian MAGA. It is conservative, constitutional, Jewish MAGA. You can substitute whatever you want to in there, but if you believe in the United States and the Republic, if you believe in the principles that it was founded on and believe that we should make a return to constitutionally constrained federal government, then it's your MAGA. It's my MAGA. It's Ted Cruz's MAGA. And it is Donald Trump's MAGA. Donald Trump deserves a lot of credit for it. But it's not just him. And let's not forget that. And let's, let's see. I mean, we'll have a lot of time, a lot of time later to talk about the speech that he gives. We'll see if he does it. Uh, that's the expectations and the predictions. And, and I really hope that it is that because that's what's going to put him back on track. Stop with the cheap shots uh, against people that are right now same team. At the very least, wait till they've come out and announced and said, yes, I also would like to seek the nomination, and I know it's going to be an uphill climb. I think most people knew a while back that it was Trump's nomination to just to go get. And I think that as much as the media wants to try and pretend like that's not the case anymore, that it still kind of is. But he's got to do the right moves, and he has not been doing that. If anybody has endangered Trump's possibility of being the Republican nominee this go-around, it's not the media, it's not the rhinos, it is Donald Trump. But he can remedy that situation, he can right that ship with a outstanding speech tonight, one that I hope that he gives. And then I, I think that a lot of these uh, folks that he's been taking cheap shots at will be supportive of Donald Trump. But he's got to be the leader that he was, not the guy that he's kind of been since the Biden regime was installed. So we'll see what happens. I, I'm looking forward to the speech. Uh, obviously, like I said, we're, we're doing the show at a point in time that it hasn't happened yet. Um, you guys will have heard this speech by the time, if you're listening to the rebroadcast, or a lot of you, if you're listening to the podcast, you'll have had a chance to hear the Trump speech, or at least highlights, before you hear this. So, uh, you know, understand that I have not heard that speech yet. That it's just a matter of time. Now, uh, there is also another big piece of news going around that really started lighting up social media. People were freaking out about this. Uh, 
uh, once it started getting around, and that is the fact that Russia has appeared to have fired missiles into Poland. And uh, evidently, there are at least two people that were killed, at least at the time of the broadcast. Uh, still early in this news story, there may need to be corrections to this. But the fact that Poland is a NATO country, folks are kind of freaking out. So anyway, Russia reportedly fired missiles into Poland. Now, again, Poland's in NATO. Uh, two people reported dead at this point, and of course, people have gone nuts. What kind of response is going to happen? What's What kind of response is going to be brought forth from the NATO countries? The Associated Press's report, which came from information that it received from senior U.S. officials, said that the missile strikes came as Russia was targeting Ukrainian energy facilities across the country with its biggest barrage of missiles yet. That's a direct quote. The strike reportedly happened 15 miles inside of Poland's borders at a farm. Now, this would indicate that it was an accident. So that doesn't necessarily demand a military response. And I don't think you're going to see the, uh, I don't even think you're going to see the Polish government stand up and demand that NATO activates their immediate defense clause here. The report, in fact, said that the Polish government did not immediately confirm that, uh, that the missiles had even hit inside of Polish borders. The Department of Defense said that, uh, that they could not confirm the report either. It said this at a press conference called for, I'm assuming, the statement that they couldn't confirm the report, which seems an odd thing to have a press conference about until you see how much people are freaking out. Let's calm down, guys. Anyway, spokesperson Brigadier General Patrick Ryder said, quote, We are aware of the press reports alleging that two Russian missiles have struck a location inside Poland near the Ukraine border. I can tell you that we don't have any information at this time to corroborate that report and are looking into this further, which, of course, it seems a reasonable thing to say. General Ryder also said, quote, When it comes to our security commitments and Article 5, we've been crystal clear that we will defend every inch of NATO territory. The Estonian Minister of Foreign Affairs responded to the news on Twitter, of course, because that's where you go to politics these days, uh, saying that the development was concerning and that they would defend Poland if it was attacked by Russia. And again, that's an important thing to remember. If they were targeting Ukrainian energy facilities, then they were not targeting Poland. Poland does not need to be defended. Now, if they have more accidents... Then you have to start wondering how accidental it really is. Then this whole conversation changes. I I can't say that a lot of what Putin has done with this engagement in the Ukraine makes a whole lot of sense. But I can say 
that I still don't believe, regardless of whatever you think the mindset of Putin is, that he really wants to instigate a full military action against the whole of NATO. Now, I could be wrong, and I certainly, as frightening as that idea would be in this instance, would be quick to uh, call myself out if that turned out to be wrong on that, but I just, I don't think he's there yet. I, I can see a situation where maybe he gets to a point where he just decides, nah, I got nothing else left to lose. Let's just burn it all down. And kind of the KGB mindset, right? Uh, going back to the very mundane yet somewhat common mindset of, if I can't have it, no one will, kind of mentality. Anyway, this uh, statement from the Estonian Minister of Foreign Affairs also said, the latest news from Poland is most concerning. Uh, we are consulting closely with Poland and other allies. Estonia is ready to defend every inch of NATO territory. Gee, you wonder if that's not the memo that got sent out to all of the NATO countries once hostilities began in the Ukraine. Anyway, we're in full solidarity full solidarity with our close ally, Poland. Okay, good for them. NATO, of course, was created with the primary mission of countering attempts by the then-Soviet Union to expand into Eastern Europe and other areas by uniting member nations in a collective defense against attacks through NATO's Article 5. That's why social media was lighting up earlier if you didn't have any idea what they were talking about when you saw some people just kept tweeting and truthing and uh, posting on Facebook, just kept uh, putting up Article 5, Article 5. Art so if you had no idea what all those Article 5s when they didn't give any other context was about, this is what they were talking about. Anyway, Article 5 which was first invoked after Islamic terrorists attacked the U.S. on September 11th of 2001, in fact ensures that an attack against one ally is considered an attack against all of the allies, all the member states of NATO. But that's where we're at, guys. We're, we're in the information gathering stage. Based on what we see, it seems as if this was an accident that doesn't let Russia off the hook by any means. It does not suggest that uh, there shouldn't be some level of uh, military response, but it does need to be very measured unless you are ready for full-blown war. And that's kind of the thing I think they're still trying to avoid. Full-blown war in the area takes away from the Ukrainian money laundering scheme. So while they want open conflict, and they're very happy that the conflict is there, I do think it behooves a good number of folks that are all about sending millions and millions and millions over and over. In fact, I'm pretty sure Biden asked for several more million just today. We're going to 
come on, we got to appropriate the money. We got to help the people of Ukraine so that we have enough money to run uh, presidential elections in another two years. Oh, wait, did he say the quiet part out loud again? Now, he's the Article 5 business, it's a little premature. I do think that there is this idea, this notion in Putin's head that he would very much like to claim part of Poland. There's a section where there are, what is the terminology they like using here? Um, they are historically Russian citizens in a certain block, which was, of course, the excuse they used for wanting to annex parts of Ukraine as it is. But given the current conditions and the fact that, if you'll forgive the Game of Thrones reference, that winter is coming, I really don't think that Putin or anyone else in Russia wants to try and open up conflict against all of NATO at a point in time when things are going so poorly. And they're barely having enough people to... To, to do any operations. They're having to withdraw from cities that they had actually taken. The war effort is not going well if you happen to be Russia. Uh, it's going so poorly that the president of Ukraine's got time to go pose for magazine covers. So that, that tells you everything that you need to know about how things are going there. Anyway, don't panic. Don't let anybody else get you panicked. We're not to that point yet, and I don't think we're going to get there. I, I really don't, at least not based on this. Like I said, though, you let a few more missiles land in Poland, and then maybe that calculus changes quite quite drastically. But uh, with two farmers killed, uh, and I, I don't mean to sound callous about it, and I know it kind of sounds that way, because, you know, anybody getting killed in this fashion is unacceptable. And like I said, there needs to be some accountability here. But with only two people killed in what appears to have been an accidental uh, strain of a missile across a border, I don't see that as being grounds for activating Article 5, and I don't think that that's... Uh, I don't think that's going to be used as an argument or a rallying cry uh, to put NATO troops into the Ukraine. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. All right, let's go ahead and take that mid-hour break. Uh, got a lot of other things to get to. In fact, even with not having uh, Trump's speech to talk about just yet because it's happening later than this broadcast, I had to I had to throw out a few stories that I would have ordinarily talked about today. So uh, let's uh, take that break and let's get to some of these other things. Ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere. I'll be back right after this brief break. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth.
of America. Since just after the Revolutionary War, there have been those seeking to kick God and the Bible out of society. In 1844, Supreme Court Justice Joseph Story upheld the use of the Bible as a tool for teaching in government schools. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee, in this Vidal versus Gerard case, Mr. Gerard's will permitted the teaching of the Christian faith, just not by members of the clergy. Justice Story's opinion that Gerard's will was not derogatory toward Christianity rested on two determinations. First, a layman was capable of teaching the general principles of Christianity. Second, Gerard's will actually permitted the teaching of the Bible in schools. It was duly noted that the Founding Fathers warned that in order for the United States to become and remain great, her people must be of good moral character. Mr. Gerard clearly understood the importance of teaching students the biblical principles of morality and its general precepts. Whereas can the purest principles of morality be learned so perfectly as from the Bible? Where are benevolence, the love of truth, sobriety, and industry, superior intellectual development, be so powerfully and irresistibly inculcated as in the Bible? I'm Ron Edwards. Check out theronedwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. So look, I'd be delighted uh, to codify what the president is doing, but here's the key. I don't have any doubt that the president has the legal authority to cancel this student loan debt. Not a joke. Not a joke. And that wasn't hyperbole. I meant that. I'm not joking. No, I'm serious. This is not hyperbole. I'm not being facetious, and I mean it. Not a joke, for real. Not a joke. I mean it. I'm being serious. I'm being serious. Put all kidding aside, for real. No, I'm not joking. Not a joke. I mean it. I really mean it. I mean this. I'm not being solicitous. Not a joke. Here's the thing. People think that the President of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone, he can delay, but he does not have that power. That would that has to be an act of Congress. But the, the difference between the president, do, president can't do it. So that's not even a discussion. Everything is awesome. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acidic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase. And to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. I'm Ron Edwards, host of the Edwards Notebook, and you're listening to Tim Tapp and Tap Into the Truth. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, the boys are back in town. 
And the boys have become men, and these men are mighty angry that some low-life scheming politicians who lean to the left pretty far are trying to destroy this constitutional republic that we have worked so hard to build. You need any proof of that? You need any proof that our economy is uh, strong as hell, as Joe Biden told us? Well, let's take a long, hard look at a, a couple of companies that are planning on making some major layoffs, planning on furloughing employees now. Middle of November. We are almost halfway between Halloween and Thanksgiving. Little, little more than halfway there. Meaning that, you know, we are already into the Christmas season as far as shipping is concerned and shopping is concerned and all these wonderful things. This is a time of year when logistical companies are needing to hire extra part-time seasonal employees. This is a time when lots of retailers are needing to hire part-time seasonal employees. And yet we get word this week that both Amazon, the largest retailer in the country right now, and FedEx, the largest logistics company in the country right now, they're both planning on dismissing workers ahead of the holiday season. Now, if our economy was strong as hell there, Joe, I think these folks would be looking to hire part-time seasonal help like they have every year starting about this time of year for the last few decades. But... But this, this, this is typically a busy time for companies involved in the sales and transportation of consumer goods. It is, but our economy is strong as hell compared to what, Joe? Our economy is not strong as hell. It's just currently hell, and it's about to get a hell of a lot worse. According to a report from the New York Times, Amazon will be laying off approximately 10,000 employees in human resources, retail, and devices division as soon as this week. Literally starting this week, these folks are going to start losing their job. Do you really have enough folks that already work in human resources that's going to account for a high number of 10,000? I'm doubting it. The devices division, these are people that are running and operating equipment, uh, doing the picking, uh, doing the, the, the logistical work inside of the warehouses. These people are kind of important if you're going to get your order uh, relatively soon. And, of course, the retail, the retail, they're the actual people involved with making sure that the customers are getting their orders in. And with so much of this being done online and so much of it already automated, how many employees do you really think Amazon has that are not absolutely necessary to continue that business model? Because love them or hate them, the business model is absolutely awesome. The idea of removing friction. I mean, it's a very simple, basic concept, but nobody has done it 
to the extent that Amazon has. They literally make it as easy as possible for you to do business with them. They remember all your previous orders. They keep track of the things that you order frequently. They make it as easy as possible for you to show up. If you are somebody that even just orders once every three months, you literally can make a majority of your purchases by pushing a single button. That's it. No friction. Makes it so convenient. Now, I have lamented quite frequently, especially here recently, that uh, as a society, we've given up a lot in the name of convenience. We have risked a lot of our liberty and our freedoms and our right to privacy in the name of convenience. But the point still stands here that Amazon has become who they are because of a level of convenience that other retailers simply weren't able to match and now aren't able to put the kind of money into their companies to match them. I mean, Walmart's got a shot at it. They're trying to play catch-up, but they're playing catch-up. Layoffs. Now, again, this is when they're normally getting busier. This is normally when they're having to ramp up and get additional part-time seasonal help, just like your local Walmart. Nope, we're, we're cutting 10,000 people loose. Now, the layoffs occur amidst uh, cost-cutting measures. Again, according to an adjacent report that was uh, run over at the Wall Street Journal. The cuts also come two weeks after Amazon Senior Vice President of People Experience and Technology, uh, a Beth Galetti, uh, Beth informed employees that the e-commerce giant would institute a freeze on incremental hires in the corporate workplace. So they're they're literally were already they had this normal set where they would bring in more people. No, we're freezing that, saying, "quote We anticipate keeping this pause in place for the next few months, and we'll continue to monitor." what we're seeing in the economy and the business to adjust as we think makes sense. Several technology companies, big tech as we often refer to them here, but several, including Microsoft, Tesla, Coinbase, they've already announced hiring pauses or layoffs earlier this year. Although many of the dismissals were attributed to the state of the economy, prominent investors, they've kind of argued that technology firm payrolls are bloated to begin with. A reality that led Twitter CEO Elon Musk to cut the company's headcount in half. Now let's look over at FedEx. FedEx Freight is preparing to furlough an unspecified number of drivers beginning in early December. This according to a report from Freight Waves. Employees can opt into the voluntary furlough, slated to last for three months, and continue receiving health care benefits if they do so. In addition, workers are eligible to file for state unemployment insurance, while some will be 
offered transfers to markets with greater hiring needs. Quoting here from FedEx Freight spokesperson Miranda Yarbrough, quote, because of our previous experience with furlough and with the incentives we're offering, we are expecting employees to volunteer to meet the business needs. Now, the business unit, which handles less than truckload freight needs for FedEx, currently, currently they employ 45,000 people. And they have outperformed the company's other transport business subsidies, which is FedEx Express and FedEx Ground. Shares in FedEx have declined 31% since the beginning of the year, while shares in Amazon have plummeted 41%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell a total of 7.6% overall over that same period. So while the technology-heavy NASDAQ, it fell 27.5%. The values of these companies are coming down because the economy is crashing. The job market that was so wide open just a couple of months ago because we couldn't get people to show up for work, because we couldn't get people to to, to be at a particular business and say, okay, yeah, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm going to put up with some stuff here so I can continue to earn my... No, I don't have to put up with Jack. If I don't like something, I can leave because everybody else is desperate for people. I can find something else at the drop of a hat. That's going away quickly at this point. When the Fed finally got serious and started raising interest rates, that put everybody into a panic. Uh, you've got uh, Joe Biden out there saying how this is just terrible stuff, and he sicked his little puppies out there to go try and nip at the ankles of the Fed. But it's literally the only tool the Fed has to try and counteract all the reckless and ridiculously large spending that is going on by this federal government, which is the biggest driving force of the inflation. Between our energy policy and the just unprecedented levels of spending, it's mind-boggling that there's even a question in anyone's mind what's causing this. And yet here we are. These layoffs from both Amazon and FedEx, well, that's probably should be the, the most scary part of this holiday season that we've, we've looked at as far as what does this mean to the job market? What does this mean to the economy? Because you can look at these other companies that we were just mentioning, you can look at uh, somebody like, like Tesla or Microsoft or even Coinbase. You can look at these folks and say, well, yeah, uh, for Coinbase, uh, they are a, uh, a crypto uh, currency specialist. You know, they, they, they sit there, you set up an account, you can purchase 
cryptos. You can then uh, put it in your wallet, or uh, some of them you can do what's called staking, and then they'll just hold it in in your account for you there. Kind of the same thing that was happening over at FTX, only Coinbase. They follow the rules and honor the promises they've made. You know, Tesla was having a hard time getting the cars built and getting the orders met because they were still waiting for computer chips that had to come in. Supply chain issues. Microsoft, same kind of deal. They were bloated, had too many people on staff to begin with, and now they've had to start cutting back because sales are dropping. People can't afford to pay this. So when you're looking at those companies, yeah, that that's something that they might need to do at any time of the year. But Amazon and FedEx, two people that literally were going into the busiest time of the year for them for all year, that this is happening shortly ahead of the holiday season? Supply chain bottlenecks and and rising price levels, among other phenomena, are currently worsening the global economy. These global economic conditions are getting worse because this is continuing and because of the inflation and now the efforts from the Fed to get inflation under control, the jobs are going away. These are jobs that would have already went away if it wasn't for the artificial increase of need of employees because of trying to come back from COVID. All the COVID shutdowns led to this artificial existence. And and it's solely based on the strength of the job market when everybody was desperate to get people to come work for them, that the Biden administration was claiming that we were not already in a recession. That was the one statistical anomaly that's normally pretty consistent with the recession. And now that's going away rather quickly because the feds had to raise the interest rates. This is how all this is connected. This is not something that I have to tell the regular listeners of this broadcast because you guys already know it. I get that. But for the new listener who maybe has never heard any of this before, who maybe has never spent time in an actual economics class where they teach you something, or maybe you've not spent time in anything even remotely similar to a civics class so that you learn how the federal government and policies interact with the economy. Maybe this is something you're hearing for the first time if you're one of those people. And then I I insist that you do what I normally say when I sign off at the end of the show. Don't take my word for any of these things that I'm telling you. Go check it out for yourself. If you need another indicator of how strong our economy is, this is it. Holiday retail sales in the United States are expected to grow between 6 and 8% since last year to possibly surpass $960 billion according to data from the National Retail Federation. This was based on numbers that they were still seeing, however, from last year's number and how our economy was moving while the government was still handing out free checks. Although the growth appears to surpass the average of 4.9% annual increase witnessed over the past decade, the expansion will be mostly eclipsed by inflation. 
which of course rose year over year at a 7.7% rate as of last month, according to Bureau of Labor Statistics. So this is the government's own numbers that we're looking at here. It's not like I'm using some extremist far right wing made up numbers that you know the left's gonna just ignore. This is their numbers, their Bureau of Labor Statistics. Quote from the National Retail Federation CEO, Matthew Shea, in a press release, said, quote, while consumers are feeling the pressure of inflation and higher prices, and while there is continued stratification with consumer spending and behavior among households at different income levels, consumers remain resilient and continue to engage in commerce. In the face of these challenges, many households will supplement spending with savings and, and credit to provide a cushion and result in a positive holiday season. That's whistling past the graveyard, boys and girls. That's looking at the, the numbers that you have that are still based on the situation a few months ago. You see, I have no doubt that Matthew Shea knows better. But he also knows that right now there's a lot of people that are refusing to acknowledge the reality. Yes, there are some folks that still have some room on their credit cards, and they're going to spend what they can to try to give their kids one last great Christmas. When in fact, they should be taking those credit cards, if you're going to use them, and be spending them with emergency food supplies from My Patriot Supply, which there'll be a link in the show description, by the way, if you're listening to the podcast, you can, you can go there and do that. Because the other dirty little secret that they don't want to tell you is we still have a diesel shortage. And that diesel shortage is going to start affecting supply chain to an extent that we have not yet seen within this country. And we've already had lots and lots of issues with the supply chain. But when you have no diesel to run the trains, even though it looks like the trains may be going on strike soon anyway, when you have no diesel to run the trains and no diesel to run the trucks that are taking what the trains are hauling to a depot and then from the depot to the store, you're going to not just be worried about retail purchases, you're going to be worried about grocery purchases. Now, I saw. Not as much as I expected, but I started seeing the shortages and the food and the grocery aisles shortly after uh, shortly after the 4th of July this year, which is when I was warning you that that's when you're going to start seeing some of these things. Now, very fortunately, it wasn't as bad as I was expecting. Now, not that I was expecting it to be mega bad. It was going to be enough that folks were going to notice. I'm pretty sure most people in most parts of the country did see, uh, to an extent, shortages of the items that they would ordinarily get, the brands that they expected to have. They were seeing these food shortages. Thankfully, it didn't get as, as bad as I thought, but it wasn't too far off. I wasn't predicting 
disaster at that point. As I said, start watching for it and start preparing now. Now we're getting really, really close to a disastrous level. We're getting if the trains go on strike, if the rail lines that are hauling goods and services go ahead and go on strike, and then the trucks run out of diesel fuel when you're going to be needing the trucks to be running further and longer hauls to have a chance of having anything resembling a supply chain still operational, then things are going to get really bad there. With respect to the non-store and online sales, the National Retail Federation estimated an increase between 10 and 12% as consumers grow in their reliance upon online shopping. Some customers, however, will return to traditional in-store experiences as long as that's something that actually exists. And that's the part they're not telling you. When they say this, when they're making these estimates, they're still presuming that the whole diesel thing is going to work itself out. It's hard to do it when it's not available. They're assuming that the trend that has already existed is going to continue. Well, if you have to, to do your shopping uh, and you can't go to a physical store, then uh, if the brick and mortar is just not there, then you'll have to order online. So online orders will continue to grow. But you're forgetting that people are going to start not having money to make these purchases. That people are actually going to have to start paying off the credit cards that they're running up. That they're going to have to start making choices between what groceries are available and these extras that you would like for them to have for growth. And if you think I'm exaggerating, if you think I'm blowing it out of proportion, again, I'll remind you, we're talking about Amazon and FedEx, the two biggest forces that made Christmas happen during the COVID lockdowns. The last two years, these were the two companies that no matter how much hiring they did right now, didn't have enough hands on deck. And you want to tell me they're laying folks off and that's going to still present the opportunity for 10 to 12% growth for online sales? Where exactly are these sales going to be happening at and who's going to be fulfilling them? Who is going to be bringing them to you? How are you going to get it? And I'm sorry. If you're not understanding what I'm telling you, let's draw a little chart. Which works really good for a radio program. So you're going to have to do this in your mind. Let's go over here to this side. This is um California company that's making the newest hot toy. Awesome toy. I don't know what to, it's. It's tickle me Elmo again. <laughs> Whatever you want it to be. If we were back in business school uh, in the early eighties, we'd just say widgets. Uh, here is the company making widgets. Now you have tickle me Elmo again widget, and now you need to get it from California where they built it to. I don't know, let's not even say it's got to go all the way across the country. Let's say it's got to get to Arkansas. Okay, you're trying to get it to the head uh, sales folks in Walmart. 
Well, what happens previously when the economy was strong as hell is they would put a whole bunch of these shipments on a train and the train would take it to a depot somewhere in Arkansas. And then once it was in Arkansas, the trucks that were going to deliver it to the Walmart supply chain warehouse, uh, they would pick it up at that depot and then they would drive it there. And from there, the Walmart drivers would then deliver it to the individual Walmart stores. And ta-da, Walmart has committed its fulfillment within that local region. Now let's pretend for a second that, I don't know, say we have a diesel shortage and the trains aren't working. How do you get it to the depot? Well, it doesn't have to go to the depot anymore, but you still have to get it to the uh, to the warehouse that's going to be the distribution hub for the Walmart, right? So now you need a truck. But uh, guess what? Those trucks, they run on diesel too. And in order to get the same amount of goods to that location, you're going to have to run a lot more train, a lot more trucks than you would be a train. Now let's let's put it in terms that that even a leftist can understand. Let's say you're ordering online. Let's say you're going to Amazon. Now what normally you could get two days later, now is going to take a week to get released to FedEx. To get released to FedEx. A week. To get picked and really sent to you, on its way to you. And now, because there's so many people laid off at FedEx, how long is it going to take you to get it? You may never see it. If you think it's bad now, how many times you get a goods or service lost? If you've ordered an item and it never made its way to you, if you think that's bad now, imagine what it's going to be like when they have a tenth of the number of people working for them. Let's reset the hour so that Doug doesn't kill me. Ladies and gentlemen, stay right where you're at. Hour number two will start after this. She was from a blue state clan, taught to praise the little man, told that unions saved the working class. He was raised a red state son To love the flag and own a gun Warned about the greed within the mass They met beneath the moonlit sky A college party drunk and high And when they had degrees they said their vows He couldn't say when He couldn't say how He couldn't say why she was different in his eyes They built careers and had a kid Tried to live like their parents did But both their parties taxed them close to death They learned to hate the public schools Watch TV making fools While trial lawyers looted what was left she couldn't say when, she couldn't say how 
You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. My name's Joe Biden. All of this, as more than half of Americans think President Biden will go down as one of the worst presidents in American history. I keep forgetting I'm president. I certainly wish I could forget that Mr. Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. had been installed as President of the United States and the regime, the regime, the regime. All right. Anyway, uh, glad to have you here. Thanks for being here. If you are listening to the rebroadcast on WCET Radio in Columbia, South Carolina. Or if you're listening to the rebroadcast on thelastfrequency.com, then you are hearing the second hour of a two-hour broadcast that initially took place on November 15th. So yes, yes, it uh, is the day that Donald Trump makes his big speech, makes his announcement. Hasn't happened yet as of the time that I'm doing this broadcast, uh, hoping to be done in time to catch his speech and find out what all he does have to say. Uh, if you missed the first hour, please come find the show and podcast and uh, give it a listen. Talked about the things that I think uh, that Donald Trump needs to do in this speech if he really wants to recapture his position as leader of the MAGA movement. And uh, regardless of who's setting atop that movement, the MAGA movement is something that does not need to end. By any means, we need to keep it going. Donald Trump helped to get it started, but it's something that constitutional conservatives should have been doing all along. We saw the, the beginnings of this movement with the Tea Party movement, and we see it continue. The, the overall goals, the, the ideas that we as a nation should stand on principle, and that those principles should be the same that this nation was founded on. Ideas like liberty, which, of course, is freedom with personal responsibility. Ideas like uh, equal treatment under the law, not special treatment for some because you've been treated badly at some point in time. Guess what? We all have been treated badly. Maybe not to the same extent, but we've all been treated badly at some point in time. Some of it's far worse than others. I keep clinging to this idea. You never really hear it talked about anymore. But um, as dehumanizing and as horrible as slavery was in this country, uh, slaves were treated like farm equipment. And they were an investment. And you took care of your investments if you were a smart business person. And so there was a whole class of white folks that were known as poor white trash. It's where the term came from back in the uh, pre-Civil War days when slavery was going on. And those were the people that you sent out to do the terrible, horrible, nasty jobs when the conditions just wasn't right. When you would be putting your farm equipment at risk if you used them. You could offer them a heck of a lot uh, cheaper money than what your investment in your farm equipment was. Now, I put it in those terms so that you'll understand that if you dehumanize the slaves to the point of thinking 
they're just equipment. Imagine how dehumanizing it must have been for that poor white trash. The people that fell into that category. And that's very different than what we think of as being white trash today. <laughs> that's a whole different thing. Back then, it was the aristocratic's view, the elitist's view of the little people who simply were so poor they had to take whatever jobs that they offered. So, yeah, we've all been victims of systemic crap at one point or another. But the founding principles, these were all violations of those principles. It's the exact same argument that I've made in regards to uh, when people try to attack Christianity uh, based on violence. You claim that Islam is so violent and you ignore the fact that Christianity uh, fought these wars and did these acts of violence. Well, the difference is, my friend, that when uh, Christians committed these acts of violence, they were doing things that were in violation of the principles of Christianity. That's not a systemic flaw with Christianity. It is the inevitable flaw of human character. Uh, Islam preaches the violence. It, it's not a bug. It's a feature. In Christianity, it's the bug that requires people to try and act, conduct themselves at a higher level than the baser instinct. And that's where the argument about systemic racism is really an issue with the government because our government is set up literally to stop racism. The founding principles that the country was uh, based upon, even at the point of its inception, the discussion about slavery was had then, and they knew they would be setting in motion uh, the idea that Inevitably, slavery would have to come to an end as long as you held true to those principles. They knew it. They said it. You don't hear that when you hear somebody talking about the 1619 Project. You don't hear uh, Ibram X. Kendi talking about that because they're weak-minded, fluffed-brained fools that are race-baiting and trying to make themselves important when they have nothing of merit to say. They're playing to a uneducated crowd, hoping that you'll buy into their crap, hoping that you will buy into the notion that now, today, the only way to fight racism is by being racist, which is the dumbest thing that anyone has ever come up with. And I've listened to a lot of Joe Biden's speeches, so I know from what sounds dumb. I'm sure you do, too. Uh, anyway, speaking of dumb, Oregon has become the first state to officially recognize health care as a human right. Now, I know you're going to say, Tim, Tim, why, why would you go here? Why, With all the other things you were doing and with the, the points you were just making, why would this be the next story that you decided to address? I'll get there. But in the meanwhile, let me give you the backstory. Oregon voters in this midterm, they approved a measure that officially recognizes health care as a human right. 
The passing of Measure 111 makes Oregon literally the first state in the country to add the right to affordable health care to its state constitution. Now, I would still like to know exactly who it is that's defining what is affordable. I think that's an important distinction that I don't think is laid out specifically as what is affordable. Anyway, the amendment says, <clears throat> and I quote, It is the obligation of the state to ensure that every resident of Oregon has access to cost-effective, clinically appropriate, and affordable health care as a fundamental right. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. That hints the very short but clearly dramatic pause. It's the obligation of the state. That means it's the obligation of the taxpayers of the state. Okay, they're just finding another way to pump up the bill, and they're going to tell you it's free, but you're paying for it. Because that's, that's the way it works with government, period. Government does not have any of its own money. It can only take money from us, the taxpayers. So now the taxpayers of the state of Oregon, you're on the hook for everybody's health care. Now, is there a reason why we have to have it in the state constitution as a right established by the state? Well, obviously, they need it in the state constitution because that's a lot harder to undo than just passing a law that says, ah, blah, blah, fundamental right. I would ask you to tell me why there is a fundamental need for this to be codified in such a fashion when there are already laws across the country that state point blank that you cannot be refused necessary medical treatment regardless of your ability to pay. You're going to get the treatment that you have to have. There are legal consequences for health care providers that refuse to provide you health care based solely on your ability to pay. We've already fought those wars. So you could make the argument, a rather legitimate argument, that we've already decided that health care to a certain extent is a fundamental right. But you've worded it in such a way here that you're going to have to basically give them whatever's appropriate. Who gets to define what's clinically appropriate and affordable? Who gets to define what is affordable? The amendment does not define what is affordable. Or who will pay for the expenses involved in providing health care to the Oregon residents? They don't tell you that part because if they knew, you're really just throwing in a ridiculously large brand new tax because you're going to be paying for this yourselves, taxpayers of Oregon. If they told you that up front, if they acknowledge that this isn't really free, then you might not have voted for it. When you realize what you're really signing up for, you might not have supported this. Approximately 94% of Oregonians, I think that's how you prefer it to be pronounced, Oregonians, Organians, so I'm not trying to make fun, guys. I from Tennessee. I don't know which we prefer. I think Oregonians is correct. If not, hey, let me know. I'll correct that. 
But about 94% of the folks living in Oregon have health insurance coverage already. So, if you have health insurance, you would think that would kind of negate the need to codify this into the state constitution. 94% of the folks in the state of Oregon have health insurance coverage, and this is according to the Oregon Health Authority. I would presume that they would know this information, that this would be a stat that they would be pretty accurate on. Now, we all know what happens when you assume things, so I could be off base. But when you take that into account, and you also look at the fact that residents are eligible for the state's Medicaid plan or a subsidy to reduce the cost of medical insurance, then you really have to scratch your head. Why would you want to put the folks, the taxpayers of the state of Oregon, on the hook for this when you're essentially kind of given the green light for this 94% of the population of the state to just say, you know, F it. I don't need to be paying my insurance premiums anymore. It's a free right that I have now. Anyway, Measure 111 passed in a narrow victory. Only 50.6% of the people of Oregon supported the measure. Roughly a little under 900,000 voters. A total of 49.4% opposed it, representing uh, just over 870,000 voters. So, pretty close. The margin of victory here was literally 22,868 votes. Very small percentage there. The votes in favor of the health care measure were highest in areas where, you guessed it, Democrats had the strongest turnout. Places like Portland, Eugene, and surrounding areas. Places, uh, uh, again, where Portland was located. Uh, these, these, This county that uh, Portland's in, it strongly supported Measure 111, with 69% of the voters there in favor of the amendment. Why? Because it was a Democrat talking point. Why? Because it's a leftist pipe dream. Oh, yes, universal health care, and we'll make it uh, possible by virtue of claiming health care is a right. You know, and the left is so willy-nilly with the, what they decide a right is. Uh, they don't even have a clear grasp of exactly what health care is, because they still want to say that murdering pre-born baby humans is health care. Kind of the opposite of it. But, uh, you know, what's a little confusion between Democratic operatives, right? This particular measure was a longtime project of a gentleman by the name of Mitch Greenlick. This Mitch guy, he served as a state Democratic lawmaker in Oregon until he died in 2020. Greenlick attempted to pass it eight times in 16 years. This according to Oregon Public Broadcasting. And uh, with fellow lawmakers referring the measure to the state's ballot to honor his efforts this go-round, 
opponents have expressed concern that the amendment could pose numerous challenges. Senate Minority Leader Fred uh, Gorod, Gairod, uh, sorry, Fred, they voted against it in the state legislature prior to its placement on the ballot. Fred said, quote, This bill promises something that Democrats know they can't deliver. The bill doesn't fund any system to deliver on that promise. If Democrats are serious about giving Oregonians free health care, they should come up with an actual plan. This kind of lazy policymaking lacks important details. Oregon voters need to make an informed decision at the ballot box. Democrats like State Representative Andrea Salinas. I'm sorry. Sorry, Andrea, I'm butchering your name too. Uh, anyway, she expressed strong support for Measure 111. Why? Well, because, quote, we need to send this to the voters because of the unpredictability of the future of health care at the federal level. <clears throat> what? Maybe health care shouldn't be at the federal level? Anyway, continuing back to the quote, I apologize. The marketplace needs some stability, and the state of Oregon needs a path forward. We don't need better insurance instruments. We need better access to health care. <laughs> better access. I guess it kind of depends on how you define that. That is how the Democrats win arguments and debates, if they ever do. It's by playing fast and loose around the edges with the meanings of words, right? You'll also be happy to know, if you're not living in the state of Oregon, that in addition to Measure 111, Oregon voters also narrowly passed a new gun law. It was called Measure 114, and that's going to require residents to obtain a permit to purchase a firearm bans most large-capacity magazines, which they define as anything over 10 rounds, and, excuse me while I clear my throat there, and it also authorizes the state's firearms database. So a large-capacity ban doesn't apply to current owners, doesn't apply to law enforcement, and it doesn't apply to military personnel, but everybody else. If you don't already own it, then, you know, you're, you're going to have to have magazines that top out at 10 rounds. 10 rounds is it. That's your maximum. You have a magazine 12 rounds or more. You have a 30-round magazine, like what I've got over here with a, a couple of my rifles. Uh, well, that's that's not something you can buy anymore. So you, you have to get your permit to make a purchase beforehand. You can't have magazines over 10 rounds. And you go on the state firearms database. <coughs> yeah. Good job, Oregon. Good job. They're right up there with Colorado putting Lauren Bobart's seat in jeopardy by virtue of running a close race instead of just re-electing her hands down. 
You're right up there with Arizona with not even being able to freaking count your votes. Just a good job. I mean, I don't know what else to say. How ridiculous do things have to get? I mean, thank goodness for red states like Texas and Florida and Georgia. And and I'm I'm old enough to remember when Florida was a purple swing state. It wasn't that long ago. Here's here's my ultimate problem. Besides the fact that, like was pointed out by the state lawmaker, this is extremely lazy policy making that does in no way whatsoever account for, accommodate for, how you're going to pay for it, which means they're going to have to obviously open the floor to raising taxes. Going to have to find a way to fund it once this happens. And when people start dropping their insurance left and right because they don't need it anymore, that's going to put strain and burden on the medical system. And when private practices start picking up and leaving which is something that we've already seen in some of those population centers, like Portland. Well, you know, it's only going to reduce the quality of health care that's available. It's going to diminish your access to health care. It's going to make the wait times longer and longer, and even in emergency situations. And if you've ever been to an emergency room and had to wait hours to be seen, then you already know that if you do anything to make that worse, well, that's not really emergency care anymore, even if you are somebody that needs emergency care. Now, I'd like to think that you're still going to get triaged and moved into the appropriate place within the, the constraints of how important treating you is in that moment. But again, we're still talking about another stepping stone towards metering your care, rationing your care. Rationed health care is not quality health care. It's not. And under what particular emergency situation does the state then have to conscript healthcare professionals to show up and work and do these things? Because as far as I can tell, it's going to come down to that in some instances. That's just... It's a reality that's going to be involved. It's it's the primary problem with socialized medicine is the healthcare professionals become government employees. They don't get to do private practice anymore. And I'm sorry, how long do you wait before you take the plastic surgeons who are clearly 100% private practice folks? They're capable of doing other things. How long do you have to conscript them it's like, okay, if you want to keep practicing your business over here where you're making lots and lots of money on completely uh, uh, voluntary surgery stuff, elective surgery is what uh, the industry terminology for it is, 
if you want to keep making big bucks on all this elective surgery, you're still going to have to work a minimum number of hours in a hospital ER. Or we're just not going to continue to allow you to practice. You, you don't think they'll do that? They'll have to come up with some way to cover it when doctors start just leaving the state. And when you start doing that, how long till those folks decide to pick up and leave the state? There are going to be places not that far from Oregon. They're going to be perfectly content to say, yes, come here, come, come practice your trade, uh, be a high-quality health care provider, and you do you. There'll be states that'll do that. There'll be active recruitments to try to get the best healthcare professionals currently operating there to come. Do not be surprised if Ron DeSantis doesn't uh, send special envoys to come have meetings with you ahead of this uh, becoming official. I mean, I don't know how long it takes for them to officially go through the process of entering this into the state constitution. I would imagine it won't be long. But I could very easily imagine seeing representatives from states like Florida and Texas and Tennessee and maybe even Alabama and Georgia come on over here. And then not only are you going to be free to practice your profession, without being treated like a slave of the state, but you're also not going to be put in a position where you have to uh, engage in activities that might, well, let's, let's diplomatically call it, compromise your personal beliefs. Because in California, there's criminal, uh, there's criminal ramifications if you refuse to perform an abortion. There are parts of this country where you are perfectly uh, within the rights as an employer uh, to terminate employment of a surgeon or a nurse if they refuse to participate in the uh, surgical mutilation of the child. Of course, the left likes to call that gender-affirming care. You know, if you're in this field and you're working in some of these places, you don't have a choice. You either go along with it or you don't work in the field or you don't get to work for certain businesses at any rate. It's not fair, but it is the way it is. The uh, dirty little secret though, guys, especially if you're listening in Oregon tonight, and Oregon is usually in the top 10 of listenership for the show, by the way. If you're listening in Oregon tonight, it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to work under those conditions. Until somebody changes the state constitution back in Oregon, maybe you guys should just pack up. And, and I hate to say that, because the people of Oregon are going to suffer as a result of this. The people that voted for this maybe deserve to a little bit, because they need to start doing their own research instead of just listening to the talking points from the Democrats. Sometimes you have no better teacher than pain. And in this case, we're talking literal pain, not just the uh, figurative pain of make a bad choice and then have to live with the consequence. In this case, it very much literal just as much as figurative. 
Sometimes that's the only way people are... I mean, that's the only reason people are still voting Democrat right now. The pain hasn't gotten bad enough yet. We're not far enough down the road to becoming Venezuelan. There are a lot of people that are already hurting. Those people voted Republican in the midterms. Even when they haven't been Republican voters in the past, those people voted Republican, and they will be happy to tell you why. Because the Democrats are screwing everything up, period. And these Democrats are not even the Democrats that we had just 20, 30 years ago, although actually a lot of them are the exact same ones. Their positions have changed. There is no longer a love of country that is even pretended to exist. They all flat out tell you that America is a bad place and all Americans should be punished. That's why every every concession should be given to illegal migrants coming across the borders. And the only thing they want to make sure that you have free access to is the murdering of pre-born baby humans because they don't want any more actual natural-born American citizens. No, we just need to keep getting the illegal migrants here. We're turning the country over to Central and South Americans. Yeah, it was theirs first, right? Not really, but convince a leftist of that. See, they know better. But they also know that a lot of us natural-born citizens, we, we've got this little thing about the Constitution, and it kind of, that Constitution gets in their way of dominating the way they want to. It's hard to be an elitist in the United States. It is. It's tough. Because there's still enough of us left that we make it difficult for them. And there's still enough of us left. And when I say us, I mean constitutional conservatives. That we're willing to go tell the truth. And we will remind the people that are currently supporting those bozos that you can support the folks on the other side. And even if you don't agree with them about a lot of stuff, your life's going to be a lot better if you have them in charge as opposed to the folks you've been putting in charge. Statistically, all you have to look at is how are red states being run? How happy are the people living there? Why did Miami-Dade County go red for the first time in, what, forever? They kind of like Ron DeSantis, didn't they? All right, let's take that mid-hour break, and uh, we will move on to the next topic. Uh, you guys don't go anywhere. I will be right back after this very brief break. <laughs> You're listening to Tap Into the Truth. Hey, Joe. They say building back better, make America great. If that's a wave of the future, all I've got to say. Stick your progress where the sun don't shine. Keep your big mess away from me and mine. If you leave us alone, well, we'd all be just fine. So, according to Klaus Schwab, he runs the Western Hemisphere. Hmm, 
It is easy to understand why Schwab believes such madness. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. The Bible talks about how there would come a time when those who hate liberty, good moral standards, individual sovereign nations, and above all, God himself, would try to manifest a globalist anti-God, anti-liberty form of existence and would try to force it upon we the people whom they see as nothing more than peons to be controlled from cradle to grave. It is the clause Schwab-influenced politicians and others like Governor Newsom, Pierre Trudeau, little Dr. Fauci, Franklin Graham, Ali Obama, and others who seek to kill still and destroy our unique, exceptional nation way of life. They are so maniacal, and they are literally trying to strip the humanity from the children via masks, mandates, and evil indoctrination in government schools. For too long, many were asleep at the wheel and allowed the madness to mangle our republic. But through God's grace, we, like the truckers, will unite and push back the darkness. God bless you. God bless America. And may America bless God. I'm... Ron Edwards. For Constitutional Grounds Coffee, simply go to BlueRidgeCoffeeCrafters.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. I remember a teacher that I had. Now, I only, I went, I went through the seventh grade. I went to the seventh grade. I left home when I was ten years old because I was hungry. I used to, this is, this is true. I work in the summer and I go to school in the winter. But I had this one teacher. He was the principal of the Harrison School in Vincennes, Indiana. To me, this was the greatest teacher, a real sage of, of my time, anyhow. He had such wisdom. And we were all reciting the Pledge of Allegiance one day. And he walked over, this little old teacher. Mr. Laswell was his name. Mr. Laswell. This is, uh... <clears throat> he says, I've been listening to you boys and girls recite the Pledge of Allegiance all semester. And it seems as though it's becoming monotonous to you. If I may, may I recite it and try to explain to you the meaning of each word. I, me, an individual, a committee of one, pledge, dedicate all of my worldly goods to give without self-pity, allegiance, my love and my devotion to the flag, our standard, O glory, a symbol of freedom, wherever she waves, there's respect because your loyalty has given her a dignity that shouts freedom is everybody's job united that means that we have all come together states individual communities that have united into 48 great states 48 individual communities with pride and dignity and purpose all divided with imaginary boundaries, yet united to a common purpose, and that's love for country. And to the Republic, Republic, a state in which sovereign power is invested in representatives chosen by the people to govern. And government is the people, and it's from the people to the leaders, not from the leaders to the people for which it stands. One nation, one nation, meaning so blessed by God, indivisible, incapable of being divided, 
with liberty, which is freedom, the right of power to live one's own life without threats, fear, or some sort of retaliation. And justice, the principle or qualities of dealing fairly with others. For all. For all. Which means, boys and girls, it's as much your country as it is mine. And now, boys and girls, let me hear you recite the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Since I was a small boy, two states have been added to our country, and two words have been added to the Pledge of Allegiance, under God. Wouldn't it be a pity if someone said that is a prayer and that would be eliminated from schools too? Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. You're listening to Tap into the Truth. It has, but man, it feels so much worse than usual. All right, I, I try really hard, <laughs> even on the most desperate and darkest of days, to try to end the show on a positive note, try to bring you some good news, because, uh, you know, we need it, and there is some out there. Uh, today, I think the uh, biggest part of uh, good news that uh, I came across was the fact that a judge in Texas has blocked Biden's interpretation of Title IX. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, a federal judge in the great state of Texas ruled against the Biden administration's extension of the Affordable Care Act's discrimination provisions to include gay and trans-identified people. U.S. District Judge in the area filed a 26-page decision, 26 pages, finding that the Supreme Court's 2020 decision in Bostrick versus Clayton County, which bars workplace discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity, does not apply to the 2010 health care law. Now, you may be saying, well, well, how does that affect Title IX? Well, give me a second, I'll get there. 
uh, quoting from the judge in the decision, Title IX's ordinary public meaning remains intact until changed by Congress, or perhaps the Supreme Court. So this ruling by this particular judge, it came in a class action lawsuit by two doctors represented by the American First Legal Foundation, alleging that HHS misinterpreted uh, Bostock. Uh, they sued after the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services said in May of 2021 that it would decide on its own that it's going to interpret Section 1557 of the Affordable Care Act, which prohibits healthcare providers from discriminating on the base of sex, as extending to sexual orientation and gender identity. The judge also said that the Supreme Court's 6-3 finding that Title VII's prohibition against sex discrimination included gay and trans-identified workers did not warrant the same conclusion under Title IX's text. So when Congress adopted the Affordable Health Care Act back in 2010, a.k.a. Obamacare, during former President Barack Hussein Akbar Obama's tenure, they could have included sexual orientation or gender identity in the text. They chose not to do so. The reason they chose not to do so is because they hadn't evolved to that point yet. Remember, it wasn't until Obama's second term that he suddenly magically became pro-same-sex marriage. He was against it before then. He was very vocally against it before then. You know, much the same way that Joe Biden has, was against shouting your abortion way back in the day. Anyway, back to the decision here from the judge. Congress limited Section 1557's protections to those afforded by other federal statutes, including Title IX, because Title IX does not protect sexual orientation or gender identity status, neither does Section 1557. The judge also has ordered both parties to submit proposed judgments within 10 days of his order. So these proposed judgments, I don't know what that's really going to amount to, but the thing to remember here is that upon entering office, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., a.k.a. barely there Beijing Biden, way to go meet Xi Jinping and not talk about anything important while you were at it. Good job, Joe. Well, Joe signed a sweeping executive order. And I'll remind you, executive orders are exactly that. They are not law. They do not apply to anybody that does not work in the executive branch. Unless, the one exemption is, it's something that the Constitution specifically grants the executive branch the authority to do and or something, and this part, there's still some constitutional debate on if Congress has authorized the executive branch to take authority over a certain thing. Now, I think more and more that I fall into the camp of 
Congress cannot vote away its own responsibilities. I think that is a reasonable expectation. Congress should do its job. It should be voting on bills, deciding what it's going to make law. It also should be voting on, I don't know, a little thing called a budget instead of just continuing resolutions and omnibus packages. It would be great if we had an actual budget. Just, just saying. Executive orders do not have power over anybody outside of the executive branch. Unless it falls in one of those two categories. So back to quoting here. Preventing and combating discrimination on the basis of gender identity or sexual orientation was one of these executive orders. This particular one attempted to reinterpret the prohibition on discrimination based on sex, which is found in Title IX of the Education Amendments of 1972, to include discrimination based on sexual orientation and one's gender identity. But it doesn't include it. If you're trying to reinterpret what's already existing, then there's no point in having it. The problems with this executive order, and you notice I use the word problems, plural, well, they arise with its misinterpretation of the original uh, court case that we were talking about, the precedent. They misinterpret that, and then they have utter and total disregard of biological sex and the sex-based rights of women and girls. Basically, if you're going to pretend that gender identity is protected here, then you're ignoring the fact that women actually exist. This was backed up, in fact, uh, said almost verbatim by Dr. Callie Burt, an associate professor at Georgia State University in the Department of CJ and Criminology and Center for Research on interpersonal violence. The Biden administration appears to subscribe to the worldview where gender identity should take precedent over sex. The gender identity, your preferred, your ideological gender means more than your actual gender. This interpretation would have significant ramifications for women and girls in education, females incarcerated in federal prisons and detention centers, and, you know, even other areas. This would represent the undoing of women's sex-based rights in favor of gender self-ID, an argument that is being made quite frequently by feminists who now find themselves being tossed out of the so-called big tent of leftist woke ideology. Once upon a time, the feminists were the frontline warriors, and now, like, well, if you don't think that men can be women just because they say so, then you're not really a feminist. What? <laughs> really? Uh, again, You'll keep using these words. I, I do not think they mean what you think they mean. What, what else can I say? The left has lost their minds. 
this judge is trying to lay it out quite nicely. And of course, this will be challenged. This will be... They will appeal it. They will beg and plead to try to get themselves in front of a judge that's going to be a leftist activist in robes because they need somebody that's going to ignore legal precedent, that's going to ignore the plain writing of the laws and of the precedent that already exists. And you know me, I'm not a big fan of basing law on precedent because I don't think precedent precedent should have a great deal of standing that a case, when you look at it, should be on a case-by-case -case basis. And if there's not a clear-cut law, then you have to do the best you can. And, you know, if you just fall back and say, well, this is what we've always done, that doesn't make it right. It doesn't mean it was right then. But this particular interpretation based on precedent and based on the laws as they have existed since the 70s, I seem to recall a lot of folks on the left telling us that we should respect that kind of thing. So you would be surprised, I'm sure, to find out that they're the ones that are crying foul the loudest on this. Except that it's not really about consistency with them, is it? Because this is an argument that should make their little leftist heads explode. And then they should be siding with the feminists. Look, if you were somebody that's legitimately suffering with gender dysphoria, then remove yourself from this conversation and ignore the fact that what I'm saying is going to affect you, but it's not directed at you. It's directed at the social contagion actors, the trending trans folks. It's directed at the leftists that want to uh, claim on the one hand that they've been fighting for women their entire lives, and then on the other hand pretend like being a woman's not a thing that actually exists. And if you're going to pretend, if you are going to behave as if a man can suddenly say that he's a woman, and that's the only criteria required to make him a her, then you are in fact ignoring that women exist. You are ignoring the fact that men exist. You cannot self-identify within reality. Now, I am a person that fully believes that you should be in a position to define who you are. That you should work to, to slip outside of whatever labels and boxes people try to put you in, in the quest to be as unique and successful as you can be. I'm on board with that, and I know that that means that some of you are going to act in ways that I'm not going to like, but I don't have to. You just have to find the audience that's okay with you, and you really need to make sure that you're okay with you. I have every bit of legitimate empathy that can be offered by another human being if you are truly suffering from gender dysphoria. This argument isn't about you. But it is about the reality 
that exist. You are not going to be able to change your chromosomes. You are not going to be able to change your DNA. You can surgically mutilate yourself. You can chemically castrate yourself. And as long as you're a freaking adult, while I wouldn't recommend it for you, you're free to do that. Doctors should not be cashing in on it. They certainly shouldn't be doing these things to minors. But you cannot just simply decide because you think there's some wiggle room as the government that you're just going to start reinterpreting things and start adding things there that were never there. The judge points out quite clearly here uh, if they had intended, because guess what? Being gay was a thing when these laws were passed. If they had intended for that to be part of the protections being codified in these laws, they would have said so then. They had no intention of it. You know why? Because at that point in time, they were still about the basic fundamental roles that marriage should be between a man and a woman. They were still about the fact that if you were suffering from gender dysphoria, you had a mental disorder. They believe that too, because that's what the consensus was. That's what science said. That's what science still says. Well, you know, about the the mental disorder part, That, as far as marriage and man and woman, that has nothing to do with science. And it shouldn't have anything to do with the government. And that's why, even though I take some flack on this one from some of my fellow conservatives, I'm okay with same-sex marriage because what we're talking about are civil unions. Regardless, we're talking about what the state decides it's going to recognize as a legal civil union. It's a business relationship. It's not the actual marriage marriage. Government has nothing at all to do with that. They can try and control it. They can try and manipulate it. They can try to do whatever they want to, but they got nothing to do with it, period. That's between you and your spiritual partner and the deity in which you believe. That's it. Those are the only folks involved in that. True marriage is a spiritual bond. Government's got nothing to do with that, period. Now, you can disagree with me on that. That's fine. I'm okay with it. You can give me some grief on it. If you're one of these hardcore folks that are like, no, Tim, marriage is simply this. It's like, well, I tend to agree with you that that's the way true marriage is going to look. That's not my call to make. And again, when we're talking about it in this context, we're not talking about true marriage. We're talking about what the state recognizes as a civil union. And, that's, and once you put it in those terms, once you understand that that's what you're actually talking about, then my argument starts to make a little more sense. And you can still disagree with that. And that's okay. I'm, I'm not going to hate you over it. I hope you won't hate me over it. If that's too much for you, then okay, go listen to somebody else. I, I haven't changed my mind on this for a while, and I've had a lot of discussions. And the best part is, having these discussions with folks, I've had a lot of them where we both ended up just respectfully disagreeing with one another. We moved on to the topics that we agree on, and we still have uh, a fruitful friendship or professional relationship, depending on if they're show guest or uh, or whoever. 
Most of them have been that way. I have had a few folks that say, no, Tim, you're just wrong, and you're going to hell. It's like, okay, I, I'm doing everything I can not to. But at the end of the day, maybe I will. I don't think it's going to be over that. But, you know, whatever. Eh, that's 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 between me and God, too. So, you know, it's something I got to get right with. And if... If you're right about this being one of those issues, well, then I should have listened to you. And I will pay that price. But someday I may change my mind on that based on whatever. But right now, that's where I'm at. The end of the day, though, it's, it's as simple as what does the law say? The administration is not free to simply reinterpret something just because they want to. That's the same fight we've been having with the leftists since the Constitution was first enacted. Well, you know what this means. That doesn't really mean that. I mean, they're still arguing over the Second Amendment, what it, the preamble in the Second Amendment uh, means. In order to maintain a well-regulated militia. That's a preamble. It's not the amendment itself. It's not the meat and potatoes of it. And... You're ignoring the historical context that, at that point in time, the militia was literally every actual citizen who was over the age of 16 and had a gun. You got a rifle, and a lot of kids back then at 16 had their own rifles. You were the militia. We didn't have a standing army then. The founders didn't like the idea of a standing army. They didn't like the idea of a police force because they knew these would be government entities, government-controlled, and could be corrupted. They wanted self-policing. They wanted us to be the sovereigns of this nation. They're very wise. Anyway, that's the good news. We've already seen the smackdown from two different courts now about the debt relief. And now we see the notion of reinterpreting being smacked down by the courts as well. That's going to be where I have to leave it today. Everybody get over wherever you're going. Watch this Trump speech. Let's see if uh, Donald does what I expect him to do. And, of course, we will talk about that, among other things, on the next broadcast. And meanwhile, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort. And most importantly, use your brain. If you really to tap into the truth. I'm out. This is Tim Tap. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. You know what they
gun control is using both hands. Founders knew the Second Amendment was the final one to keep. To hold our other rights intact so we'd never become sheep. Is using both hands Well I prefer the 308 to the tiny 223 Gives me more than a thousand yards to protect my family using both hands Evil is powerless if the good are unafraid